This is the Training Talks podcast with your host Richard Kelly of RK Fitness and Lawrence Davis of LXD Fitness. As you know, Peloton sort of exploded over lockdown. There's some businesses that, you know, really benefit from from like turns or changes in economy. Honestly, Peloton was created at the perfect time and they didn't even know it. Yeah, like it, I can remember like beforehand everyone was saying to me why would anyone pay for that? Like, it's just a really expensive spin class. That's it. And then now they've got... What have they got now? They've got the treadmill now as well. They've got a strength training thing. I've seen some advert where you basically pull something across and you've got, like, a virtual personal trainer on a screen. It's it's crazy. Do you know where they're going next, though? Where? Video games. Now, I can see your confusion, but think about it. Let's say you've got a family, two people both parents use the peloton right so for 22 hours of a day that thing sits not being used but you've got young kids you've got maybe teenage kids teenage kids you want them to get fit and do things you can you can put games onto the peloton they can do like cycling games play each other actual do event stuff with the little kids you just can take the monitor and get them to play little games fitness-based games Will it take off? Because will kids actually like these fitness-based games? It doesn't necessarily need to be that fitnessy, because what it does is it makes the Peloton more of a central hub in the house, which makes it more likely to be used, which means that they keep their members longer. Because how many members drop off a Peloton, not because the equipment or the workouts are necessarily bad, they drop off because they don't use it enough. Interesting. I don't really agree with it. I just I like the way that businesses make these kind of pivot moves in in that sense because it it shows you a different sort of way of thinking and mentality because if you get too wedded into to one idea and one direction when things move away you're in trouble because like we've all said Peloton have done well out of lockdown but let's say in the next year or so the vaccine works really well and everyone sort of is able to go back to normal life Peloton what's going to happen to them are they going to get dropped because everyone goes well I can go back to the gym now and I want to see my friends or are people going to keep using it? They have to find a way to keep people tied into it. Yes, I agree, but I don't think that would be the way. Like, right now, are they going for volume of people subscribing or price? I think they're going for volume because... I, th- I think the price is high anyway, but I think they're going for volume in the sense that I think they're trying to push out to as wide a branch as possible because having the treadmill, having the strength stuff... It, it sort of indicates to me they're trying to, to cater for everything. They're trying to be like a home gym with a virtual sort of digital backing thing. The time period of COVID was long enough for people to actually change their whole way of life. Yeah. And now that, you know, we're going back to normal, if you've got into a routine where it's actually more convenient for you to do things differently to pre-COVID, you're not really going to go back. So for a lot of people who had the space and had some extra finances, they've just created their own gyms. Or small home gyms. And then you think about it, because COVID's coming down, the vaccine rate's going up, but ultimately COVID isn't going anywhere. If you if you were that type of person who had a gym in your house, why would you get rid of it? You wouldn't. Well, I mean, if, if you take, say, yourself, you've got a, sm- a small home gym environment, right? Yep. What have you got in your gym? You've got uh, the hammer, the tyre, the bar, plates. Yep. I've got everything. I've got a, even I've got a single cable now. Really? Okay, so you've got quite a lot. Yep. So theoretically, lockdown happens tomorrow, you're still able to work out. At a very good level. I've even got a sled. 
I'm coming to your house. You've got you got yourself sorted. I mean, I'm assuming in terms of plates and stuff, you might be limited in terms of weight. Nope. How much have you got? Over 200 kg. I'm coming to your house. The okay. only thing I'm missing is a 20 kg barbell, but I've got dumbbell handles where you can put the plates on. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm set. I probably need an extra 50 kg if I want to get real sexy, but yeah, I'm I'm set. But here's the thing. The reason why I don't train all the time is because of convenience, because of my work. Yeah. However, if I was working from home, I'd be there all the time. Well, I mean, this is the thing as well, because obviously, if you do it at home, you're going to get interrupted as well. No, because it's in the garage. It's outside of the main part of the house. So it's easier to deal with rather than if it was in the house. There'll be more stress. All oh, right, I see. So it doesn't back onto the kitchen, so someone just leans in and goes, That's Lawrence, it, can you yeah. Yeah, that, all that waving in, none yeah. of that, none of that. But I know what you mean, because you you're always going to have that, and it's down to, you know, person to person in this situation. But because a lot of people understand, or a lot of people are of the mindset that COVID isn't going anywhere. So the new, there is, the old normal doesn't exist. We need a new norm. Yeah. And because of that, people have changed things. So like Peloton, if you liked cycling, you liked spin classes, and you know you want to make sure that you keep everybody in your household as safe as possible, and you have the means to, a Peloton would be a good idea. Yeah. Right. And you would stick to it because it's there. I've got clients who have Pelotons at home, and they still come to the gym. But they're like, okay, on the off days when I can do this, I'll just use the Peloton. Oh, I think, I think for that it's great because the other thing as well with Peloton is, in the old days, in the 80s, there used to be that running joke about people using an exercise bike as like a clothes rack because effectively that's all it was in the house. Like they'd buy it and they just it would just sit there, right? Nowadays, obviously, um, with Peloton, one of the things that they've been really good at is creating community because they've created the Peloton and then because you join a workout class and because those workout classes are 24 hours a day because they're worldwide, you know, you, you know you're up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you want to do a class, you can log in and join people in Tokyo doing a class. And then you can go and do it, right? There's no, like, limitation thing. That factor just, just adds into the whole thing because it just it creates a sense of, it's not just me working out on my own. I'm with people. I've got support. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And for a lot of people, that works for them. Yeah. It works really well. And it just gives them that convenience factor. It's just an added level of it. But that's why the whole thing with the peloton, I don't understand going into the games because, you know, you're going into an area, you know, because I love playing games. From a kid's point of view, if you've got games on a peloton or you've got the PlayStation or the Xbox, I'm not going to the peloton. I, I wonder because basically the first game they're going to launch is called Lane Break. And the idea is, is you have to match a rhythm and a tempo on the bike. So I wonder if it's... It's either supposed to encourage people who are, let's say, not wedded into exercise but have ended up with a peloton or are the spouse of somebody who has a peloton as as a fun way of doing it. Because what's that What's that game? Do you remember everyone used to do that dancing game where they jump on the, the thing and, and press yeah. on the arrows, right? That got massive and people who didn't like exercise were doing that. People who didn't like dance were doing that because they just followed the arrows, so if you've got a similar sort of easy-to-play, pick-up kind of system on Peloton, maybe it will work. And, you know, maybe it's not going to work for everyone, but maybe it picks up 5% of people who would have dropped off because their partners weren't going to use the Peloton as well, and now they can go back to the gym. 
and it just keeps it going on because 5% of their entire worldwide membership base is probably the equivalent of a good few million. Yeah. Do you know about the fish game on the rowing machine? Mm. That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen, though, because you have to row at certain speeds to sort of go move up and down. It's so, it's so awkward. It's just badly designed. It's badly designed, but the concept is still kind of similar where you think, okay, you know, it's a game on there. So for people who may not like rowing, it takes their mind off it. But no, no one uses it. Have you used it with a client before? No, without a doubt. I'm not using it because there's no point. I've used it with two. How did it go? What's funny is in both cases, they dislike rowing. When I put the game on, they were engaged for the five minutes I wanted them to do cardio. Now, they were not very good at it <laughs> because the game's not very good. But they were determined and they kept going and they were engaged. But then once again, that comes down to the fact that you made them do it. If you weren't that external stimulus which was there making them go into the rowing machine but then finding a way which it worked for them, they probably wouldn't do it. Hmm. So I feel like with Peloton, they need to create a different branch of their business whereby they start going into gyms and having things which, like gym-specific bikes. Well, the problem is, is what bike have already got that covered because what bike are the, the bike that the... Definitely the British Olympic team use. I'm pretty certain the Australian one do as well. Wait, they were that bike. Oh. You know why? Who's, who's taking over? Have you seen their new system? Have no. you seen their new bike? It is horrible. Absolutely horrible. What they've done is, they've taken that, I'm trying not to be biased here, because I love the old Watt bike, that beautiful small screen it had, which had all the data you'd get on a Concept 2 rowing machine. Yeah. They've turned it into a, proper screen okay a big screen now but they've just complicated everything the like the pedals to change gear everything they've just taken it to a level where they didn't need to go to that level of technology all they needed to do was maybe jazz up the interface make it slightly bigger but keep everything keep the core elements of it but what they've done is just a nightmare so if you go and let's say in a year or two when it starts to filter into gyms go and try it out and the first thing that I thought was, I just want to keep the old one. I'm going to wait till they start selling the old ones, and I'm just going to buy an old one because it just doesn't make sense. You've lost the thing about about the Watt bike, which was amazing, was that it was a cycling version of a Concept Two machine. And I don't know whether you know a lot of the listeners have used both, but the Concept Two rowing machine, in terms of the way you can program, what you can get out of it, you can't beat it. No. That is the perfect interface. Gives you everything you need. So to have that on a, in a, on a bike version took them to a new level. It's odd because if they've messed around with it that much, you have to wonder why they've messed around with it when their target demographic that it's designed for is athletes who cycle. You don't want to get distracted by too much information when you're cycling because you want it to be very clear what, what you're looking at. So you want only one or two really big feedback things. Right, and you don't want too much information going on. So I don't know why they would have done that. I was excited with my um, one of my clients said he was buying one. I was like, this is going to be cool. But he bought it, started playing with it, and it's yeah, it's just they they messed it up. Even something as simple as like the seat latch. What they've done now is they've totally changed the way you lock in the the back seat. Right. But because of that, the way I think they've changed the type of clip. So what it means is for someone who has it at home and they use it all the time and they don't adjust it, 
it's actually quite dangerous because if you're not moving, it's going to get to the point where the clip starts to loosen, then you're going to sit on it and bang, it'll go all the way down. Ooh. Whereas in a gym, you know, up and down, you'll be always changing it. Yeah. But it's really hard. The system they're putting is really hard to fasten extremely tight and keep tight. Yeah. With every piece of technology, you want to upgrade it, but you don't want to lose the features which made it so successful before. They haven't been able to develop it, but keep the core of what made the what bike a what bike together yeah well speaking of technology so have you seen how the new generation of smartwatches is going to look no so supposedly one of the new features the feature that's most interesting to me anyway and i'm sure for you is it's going to be able to measure from your sweat the vitamin and mineral deficiencies you have so you wear the watch wake up in the morning press a button on the watch the watch says you're low in vitamin c you're low in this you're low in that now, you pair that in with a glucose monitor that can do blood testing. It can give you glucose fee um, feedback as well. Theoretically, if you do a mouse swab in the morning and put it into a culture, you've covered virtually all of them apart from obviously urine, So, which, you, which you're not going to be able to do as easily. right? But you could theoretically, in a few years' time, we could have a, a scenario whereby you've got all that together. Now, some of that smartwatch technology they're talking about having is also analyzing your diet. So you put in the food you're eating quite commonly and it will start to indicate other things you should eat in your diet because you're consistently deficient in them because it'll be able to measure. It's gonna give you like live feedback on magnesium levels, sodium levels, calcium levels. I like that idea, but it's just, it's gonna to be tough to do in my opinion because even stuff like monitoring heart rates, they still haven't got that perfect in terms of a watch without having a strap. It's, no. it's highly variable. It, it is. It, it's got a lot better, though. And Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And I think it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to give you an indication because, obviously, in all likelihood, if you're down vitamin C one day, you're probably going to be down the next couple of days. Yep. So it's going to give you an, start to give you an indication of where you're deficient. And what I'm hoping is, is in time, they tie it in so it starts to suggest things and go, listen, you're always down on these minerals go and get them and you can get them from these foods that's going to be a very big um, of a large monetary business for them because then they can start charging companies who provide those vitamins for the platform well if it's through an Apple watch let's say and Apple have that function because don't don't Apple have tie-ins with somebody um, in America I'm not an Apple fan so I can't even talk about this hopefully you know I don't, but let's 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 say for the sake of argument, Amazon. I think Amazon purchased somebody. Um, I think they purchased Polar. That might be wrong, but let's just assume they have, right? So they've got they've got their watch. It's really because Amazon are tied in with um, with food now because they do groceries. Yeah. Right. So your watch says you're always low on vitamin C and um, omega three, and it goes right. You need to eat more fish and you need to have more oranges so it just puts it onto your shopping cart as a suggestion and that's all it has to do and then the next time you go you go on to your grocery shopping on amazon they're there and it's indicating that your watch is saying you should have this because in theory once the technology gets tied up together it knows when you go shopping it knows how old those things are in your fridge and it knows when they should be replaced it's kind of scary you know 
yeah. that much about a person. It's just a level of automation, and you have to decide whether you're okay with it being given away or not, because I'm okay with my fridge telling me that I need to change stuff over because it would be useful for some of the stuff I find, because I go in there and I'm like, why is this still here? You know, it's, I call the back of the fridge the dark space. Because <laughs> it's the worst thing in the world when you go back there and you find, like, a cucumber that's, like, yeah, just, yeah, and you're like, right, okay, a lot of this area is being contaminated as well. Got to clean out the fridge. It's a nightmare, and it's every week. But I like, I like the thought process with the watch. I just, you know, from a different perspective, I just feel like we some things are getting to the point where it's a bit too much information. But it's a good thing to have because I feel like we need to more and more create a awareness for health and the subtle things in health. You know, like vitamin and mineral balance and stuff like that, which aren't really readily out there. And you know. Even though the government are trying, which I don't feel they're really trying, but I'm being nice. We don't, we haven't really changed the level of obesity in this country, which no. they suggested they're trying to do. It's, it's actually got, it, well, it continues to get worse, doesn't yep. it? So I'm going to try to talk about, or we're going to try and talk about warm ups. But yeah. we're going to talk about warm ups without mentioning mobility. <laughs> do you feel that that's possible? It's probably not possible but we should give it a go. So I think before we go any further, we should be sort of saying why we're discussing warm-ups in the first place. It's funny, it's one of those key parts of training that is so overlooked, yeah, underappreciated, and in my opinion, it's probably one of the most, is more important than the main workout. You could do the same workout like five times, but if you get the warm-up right, or let's say the third time, the results in terms of like your output would just be so much better yeah and this is this is i think why some people randomly get those sessions or days or weeks where they're they're on peak form and then you know the, the next week or the week after just not there and there's no fatigue issue or there's no there's no other reason for it it's because their warm-up has changed or they've done something in a different order at the beginning that that means they're not peaked yeah yeah it makes perfect sense and i think it's one of those areas as well it's funny that when you watch trainers work with clients, they'll invariably do, or virtually every single one of them will invariably do a warm-up of a fashion. Yes. Whether it's on the treadmill or, or whatever they're doing. And then when you watch a lot of like people in the gym, there are obviously people who warm up, but you see some people who just stroll in, put their keys down, and start on, on a machine or lifting a bar or something like that. And they, they go to the weight they're going to work out at. <laughs> it's funny. One of my clients said to me after like a year, one of the best things he ever done when he wasn't training with me was start following what I done and actually do a warm up. And I was like, <laughs> I just, I just tapped on my forehead like, why? Why did it take you so long to realize such a key thing? The hardest thing to do with a lot of clients is when you've had them for a long time, is to change the warm ups, reestablish new patterns. Because psychologically, a lot of people get, you know, they get hooked into that one warm up and they believe that you know success comes from that warm up. Nothing else, just. That well, this is, I mean, we'll come to this later on, but I think one of the issues that I always find with this is when I've gone through testing process, like um, an assessment or whatever, you tend to find that you've got certain areas that you need to work on because they're stiff or they're tight or they're, they're not connected to them. So you put something in place in their warm up to connect into that area because you're going to use it later on. And so that becomes their, their warm up, and you will do that for a period of, say, like a month, two months, whatever it is, because you're only seeing that person a couple of times a week and that focal point is the area they most need to work on it's, it's effectively the, the worst problem 
and then that problem starts to starts to get addressed and fixed and then you have to go and change that warm-up process because they fixed the problem so how are we defining a warm-up because i think for most listeners out there they're just thinking that a warm-up is literally just getting warm we could go with physical elements which is in a way getting the muscles warm raising the body temperature and so on and so on then you've got the psychological aspects where you're you know waking up the mind getting the person into the zone depending on you know what they're doing yeah and then what else would you say would you say i'm trying not to say the m word well i mean technically the term that should be used is priming because you're priming the body ready to to go so the the way i look at it is is you know how you've got a plane on the tarmac before it goes they do the pre-flight checks they go and they check everything right now when you get into a car you should go around and check all the tires and check the lights and all that stuff before you start but no one ever does right but on a plane if you don't do that stuff bad things can happen <laughs> a right? lot of people die <laughs> right so they do that on the plane every single time and in a way what you're doing when you're doing your priming is you're, you're basically doing that so you're going round and you're checking everything so they, they call it priming because it's not just uh, the mobility side of things it's also stabilizing and it's also connecting in with with muscles so a good example of say a mobility movement might be for an individual they might well do something like hey hey you can't say the m-word anyway that's true so a good, a good example might well be that you might prime by doing say something to open the hips up like a pigeon stretch and then you might move into something like a single leg deadlift because a single leg deadlift allows the hip joint to move and open and stabilize through, through that motion and the pigeon so now, opens up here's the funny thing a lot of the research talks about how um, static stretching should not be involved in any type of warm up this is true there's individual examples where it has a benefit so for most of the research it's done on athletes or young younger people and those younger people typically tend to have less joint issues less chronic problems so therefore when they when they move they've already got a degree of uh, freedom yeah the a joint freedom yeah the pigeon as an example opens that sort of hip area up in a way we want and then I think moving on top of it can reset that motion because although you've lengthened out some of the muscles you've you've lengthened out some of the chronically tight muscles and then allowed a reconnection in place I don't see that's a, that's an issue going straight from say a pigeon into a deep squat might be more of an issue but by going through that mobility drill and then into some st- uh, stability on top of it I don't see that that's an issue at all to be exact we should class it as a pre-warm-up well yeah if you want and that's that's why the term priming I think exists because effectively it's not just mobilizing it's not just stabilizing it's not it's not any of that it's preparing the body so let's let's break down different types of of warm-up then we've already sort of mentioned that you can literally just warm the body up and we've sort of touched in on on priming when you're working with somebody what sort of process and protocol do you go through about creating a warm-up there's certain exercises which i use to system check or prime as you say right just to check the hips and stuff like that and then the main focus in terms of a warm-up is what modality of training are you in i think that's key so when i talk about the different modalities of training what i mean is are they doing endurance are they doing hypertrophy are they doing strength are they doing power are they doing speed because that determines, that really makes a big difference. Someone who's doing, as we both know here, someone who's doing endurance, you may do a, war, a normal warm-up and then maybe do that one warm-up set of every exercise they're going to do. 
So that's like a working set. So well, sorry, a warm up set before the working set. Let's roll it back for the listener a little bit. So when, when we're talking about this, are we talking from a mental preparation perspective, or are we talking about from a neurological perspective on the, on this part of the warm up? It's tough because I would say both. Yeah. Like nothing in particular because the neurological aspect plays more of a role as you go up to the harder sections. When you go into hypertrophy, you need you need that neurological, but not not that much. You need the mental, but not that much. When you go into strength now, yeah, they play major roles, and it's almost like the warm up is more about the the mentality and the nervous system firing than anything else. You're absolutely right. When you, when you're looking at the uh, mentality perspective you have to get in the right mindset for what you're trying to do. So when you're when you're looking at strength, you have to get the right frame of mind. And it's different to, to what you have for hypertrophy. So for strength, obviously it's a numbers game. You're chasing that number. You want as, as big a lift as you can. Whereas with hypertrophy, you're looking at the aesthetics. You're looking at how the, the body feels and how it's shaping. So it's not so important what number you're lifting. It's more about the feeling and, and, and end result from the body. And to go with that, if we were doing strength, my key thing in terms of warm-up would be warm-up sets and as many warm-up sets as possible. And, you know, guys, it's not so much to... It sounds funny. It's not so much to warm their body up, but it's to mentally prepare them step-by-step step to where they're going to get to. So when you're going from, let's say, 20 kg to 120 you need to make sure in between that you've done as many sets as you can, which are still classed as warm-up sets, to get them to the working weight or the working set, which is 120. Because if you skip too much in the process in terms of the numbers from 20 to 120, then your body doesn't have, or the nervous system doesn't have enough time to prepare itself for what you're about to lift. And men your mentality, you don't have that confidence in session that you're feeling good or not feeling good. Because those weights in between 20 and 120 make you, like, a, a, so a system check to make you feel like, okay, 60, easy. 80, easy. 90, easy. 100, yeah. still easy. And then when you get to, when you're about to hit that first set, you know how you feel compared to last time. And you know whether you're, you're feeling like you can do a lot more or whether, you know, you're just about going to hit 120. Yeah, and what, what you tend to find as well is, there's always a set somewhere in that warm-up process where you hit it and go, well, that was a bit harder than I thought. And even though it's we the same you climb point where you're, you know, you maybe jump up by 10 each time, you hit that, that point and you go, okay, that seems a lot more heavy than the previous set. And that's when the real sort of work starts to dig in of that, of that warm-up process because um, Lawrence is totally right on this. And the other thing as well I think is important with that is intention. So when you're doing, say... If, if, you're, if your lift is 120, that's where you're working at, and you've got, say, 60 on the bar, it's half the weight, right? There's a tendency for people to just half-ass that and just get there roughly and do it roughly and not really focus too much on the movement because it's, it's easy for them. It's no real sort of challenge. So they just move move roughly. But if you set up in exactly the way you would do 120 with that 60-kilo bar, you prime everything and you get that neurological system ready. You also help that mentality point of view, that, that mental side of things in preparation for what you're about to do. Yeah, I'd agree. Because the mentality... What's funny is I've had clients before where we're, let's say, 
halfway through a certain exercise you've done let's say two to three sets and for some reason they think about making a joke or having a conversation just before they start the set yeah then the set falls to pieces and it's almost like they're starting all over again from the, without doing a warm-up and the body's extremely shocked because their body is in the perfect position per, perfect position to do the weight but their mind has jumped away has jumped to something totally different and they're not connected to what they're about to do or what they're about to lift and you see that quite often so the work the warm-up sets to get them there almost another thing will keep them zoned in and then your job on top of that is between the sets making sure you have the right rest and they do the right things in the rest to keep them zoned in yeah and i mean this swings this swings both ways as well because there are certain individuals who are too keyed in and too intensive in what they've done and they've built themselves up too much so effectively they're um what's the word i'm looking for here hyper hyper focused on what they're doing and then in those individuals you need to relax them out because actually that tension means they they're, they're too tight for that that movement so then you need to calm them down a little bit in between in between sets so for those individuals you're pulling them back slightly because they've got too much focus i mean that's rare you can probably think of a couple of examples of those people you train as well so what about working on imbalances well this is this is the interesting thing i find because everyone's got imbalances everyone has issues and so no one comes to any um training session perfect or indeed any lift perfect there's no like preset way of doing things exactly so what tends to happen is when you've gone through your assessment if your trainer's good or if you're a good trainer you've probably picked out a few key areas that you want to work on and then you've got a few specific issues that will pop up and be an issue for a specific lift or a specific movement so for example you can have a client who's got uh, say a slight issue with knee collapse in squats right but then when they do lunges when they do bench press that's obviously not an issue and when we're when we're working with them there's not so much of a problem you know for most exercises but the knee collapse is still there so when you come to something say like a squat that becomes a priority but for the rest of it it's not their main problem so then you'd work specifically around that problem when you're when you're priming somebody for that squat Do you tend to use, or have you used in the past, any of the um, assessment protocols like FMS or I think there's something called Compass as well? Well, I've used, I used the FMS for quite a long time. However, the problem is it comes down to each person. Some people are happy to do the FMS because, you know, they want that type of information. Some people don't really care. Yeah. And it's more about getting to the goal. And also the amount of information you get from the FMS and how long it takes even if you become like maybe a veteran can do it really well and I'm not saying that I'm a veteran but I don't didn't see the point in it FMS used to infuriate me because the the thing, the reason why I had an issue with FMS is effectively FMS is the priming process so you do it the first time around and you score and then after you've scored you then do it again the next time you do stuff and then you score and the goal is to get to the point where you've got twos or threes across the board and no ones but you can't or you're not supposed to break out of anything and do anything to break down an issue so when you do the overhead um, squat test and there's there's like tight there's there's a lack of dorsiflexion which is like tight effectively calves or ankles for the listener Um, 
when you're when you're looking at someone do that if there is that issue you're not supposed to go off and do any exercises or mobility drills to so, to improve that so what's you're, the point? you're supposed to just repeat the fms which doesn't make sense because it could be a big issue but in most cases it's a small issue which just needs some of the m word yeah but this is mobility just but, in case you guys didn't know but this is the the fms process is designed for teams i found out so it's not actually designed for individual one-on-one stuff so if you've got a team, I think it's for, for NFL players as well. So if you've got a team of American footballers and you've got, say, 30 people, you do the FMS drills because there's, I think there's eight of them. Then you, you divide everyone into groups and you go, right, this group of six, they've got a problem with this exercise. This group of six have got a problem with this and so on and so on. And then you get them to just work on those drills and repeat over and over and over again. And that's that's where it comes from. So it is it is a bit ridiculous to have that in gyms, but we had that phase where they came through. Having said that, there are plenty of drills which are um, uh, for priming, which are quite useful. So I think there's a compass test that I can't remember where it comes from, which is free tests you do. One of them's an overhead um, like uh, test of the arms, so it's, it's checking the arms. One of them I think is a is a hip hinge based movement, and the other one is um, something to do with uh, core integrity. So it looks um, shoulders, hips, and core effectively. And then based on that, it then gives you protocols of things to focus on in your priming. Taking in all the types of um, warm-up we spoke about, one of the key things is, you know, to raise the heart rate and the blood flow. But you can do that with so many different exercises, doing so many different things that I think that's people make that a big issue, but that's not a big issue. That's not hard to do. Just by keeping someone moving in the most basic of exercises... We'll get the heart rate up. Yeah, and I, th- I think part of the reason why it's called a warm-up is because when warm-ups first became a focal point or, or of interest, let's say, was around the time when heart health was so focused upon. So it was probably been in the 1980s, and people start going to gyms and they start doing things. And at that point, there was probably a belief that if you went and did a session cold, you could damage your heart. That's that's where I'm fairly certain this comes from. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm fairly certain of this. So the reason why it's called a warm-up is because you're literally getting warm. So um, you can see this in a lot of the um, literature around um, uh, cardio-based activity, like running, where you're told to get to a certain heart rate before you start doing any heavy activity. You shouldn't just start running. You should get into a heart rate zone and, st- and maintain it first before you start going. I can remember I did a protocol on... Uh, one of the uh, bikes, the the what bikes? I think it was we tried to do a kilometer as fast as possible on a bike, which will be about three to four minutes. You, we had to go through a ten minute warm up phase and maintain a certain heart rate zone. So we had to be between two phases of zone, and I can't remember what zone that was. I'm pretty certain that was it was above the heart rate that we were expected to even reach in 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 the flat out sprint part because we'd still accelerate up. So to me, it was a bit odd, but that's that's where these warm-ups come from. They come from this concept that you have to get your heart rate up to a specific point and your temperature up to a specific point, which is fine if you're doing certain cardio activity, because I understand there's there's something in that as, a, as an athlete. But for your own ordinary person who just wants to come along and tone and, and build a bit of muscle and lose a bit of weight, it's not necessary. You don't necessarily have to get to that point. Also, quite often, most people's breaks are far too long they get cold anyway. Yeah, because that's one of the things that a lot of the literature states. It's 
not so much the warm up but making sure that the rest isn't too long and you don't have to factor in re-warming up yeah I mean which a lot of people do because if, if you take something say like strength in, in a normal like say say you're going at the upper end of strength so you're doing say a free rep process the rest periods are what like five minutes I think it's five minutes once you get down to two reps. Let's say for the sake of argument, four and a half minutes. So in order for you to stay warm, in a warm-up sense, you have to maintain a specific heart rate, right? You're not going to maintain that heart rate if you're going to do three reps like that because you've got, what, eight sets, nine sets to do, right? Four, four and a half minutes between each set. Work time is probably about, it's not even 10 seconds. If that temperature was so important, you should be wearing one of those weird jacket things things. yeah and or you should have a hot water bottle or something but actually that hot temperature has been shown to actually diminish your strength so i think there's there's um there's some research out there that shows actually if you've got cold hands you're more likely to lift more you know why that is funny fact where the main points that your body releases heat uh i think it's hands feet and head isn't it there's a lot of research about more the hands than anything else. Yeah. And with NFL, what they were talking about about two years ago was giving them gloves, cold gloves to put on their hands while they were resting. Right. Because they said that that by itself would bring the uh, temperature of the muscle down, meaning that you won't get so much lactic acid and fatigue between. Well, that's the other, that's the other thing is a lot of the research shows that actually cold therapy is, is valuable for athletes. Yeah. So... A lot, a lot of this warm-up stuff is actually slightly a misnomer. We're not saying you shouldn't warm up. We're talking about physically warming up the body. But uh, So, Lawrence, when was the last time as a trainer you had a client just jump on a treadmill for a 10-minute warm-up? Years, probably like seven years. I don't do that anymore. I was trying to remember the last time I did this. I, I, I don't I've, see the point. I've, I think it was about seven years ago. I, I tend to find that if you've if you're a... If you're working with a trainer who has been a trainer for over a year and they're doing that style of warm-up, then you need to get rid of your trainer. There are specific instances where you some you would put someone on a treadmill at the beginning of a session, right? Like, for example, they have a certain heart condition or something like that and they need to, therefore, get their heart rate to a workable point and that's really the goal of the session. Or if you're looking for a specific, again, heart rate-based result right but it shouldn't be every session and you should know exactly what you're trying to do from that but the question is do they know well that's the thing do they so we've sort of mentioned here different types of warm-up we've gone through some of the uh, some of the aspects of that what do you think are sort of the real benefits for a warming up so to put it plain and simple mental readiness physical readiness and avoid injury because yeah. if your body's warm and your mind is prepared and your central nervous system is ready you're less likely to do something or think of something else while you're doing the exercise and yeah. cause a as we like to call it a silly injury because it could have been avoided that yeah. whole time one key thing is in terms of the appropriateness of their warm-up and stuff like the treadmill there's a lot of data which is linked glute activation Right. With hide with jumps, right? But like athletic jumps, counter movement jumps, saying that if you get the activation of the glutes right, it can improve performance. 
Right, I see, okay. But in my mind, taking that from a sports perspective and putting it into, you know, a normal everyday person's perspective, I know people overuse it, but people overuse glute activation as an exercise. Like, you know, the band work. Yeah. The band work, no matter what you call it, it's activation, it's not an exercise. So you're you're basically saying that with all individuals, regardless of how good their glute activation is, they should have some aspect of a glute priming or activating exercise yeah. in, in their warm-up. Because think about it. You, you may have amazing glute activation, but if your glutes aren't warm, how are you meant to perform? It's true. Because we're coming back to the same fact that everything has to be warm. If we're going by the basics of a warm-up, you need to warm it up. Yep. You need to raise the body temperature. Yep. And you need you need the blood flow moving and the neurological system kicking in. We haven't really discussed the neurological side of things. What we're talking about from the neurological perspective is the central nervous system as a primary factor. So it's how the body connects together. So we're creating a system whereby everything feels quite sharp and quite on. And at the same time, we're trying to prepare the peripheral nervous system, which is the the effectively the the specific aspects of the body you're working on in in readiness what you're doing so for example the central nervous system is the whole body so you might well have an aspect of your warm-up that involves a whole body movement so like a bird dog as a simple as a simple example now that preps not just the the core in terms of stability and in terms of anti-rotation and extension it also engages the left and right side of the body in some connection so you might well put that in as part of your warm-up. But that day you might be doing a deadlift. So why, what you might well do there is work around something involving the, the grip to engage in. Now, you don't want to exhaust out the grip. In terms of grip strength, guys, there's a thin line between warming it up and overdoing it. Yeah, so for someone, say, like who's got very good grip, you might well put some hangs in there. For someone else... You might not be doing something like that. You might be doing something that just involves a light bit of gripping work. So, you know, a fat grip position or something like that, where they just work for a few sets like that at a light weight, trying to do that. Or uh, what I've done in the past as well is have someone do the deadlift motion with an uneven weight. So it's a slight difference, like a kilo to a two kilos, depending on their load point. And they're just moving the bar with that uneven weight because that shift point helps them identify differences in grip in their fingers thank you for listening to part one of the warm-ups we will see you next week for part two